0: You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Lovely to see so many, too, on a cold night because it makes the place warmer. And, uh, well, we're going to have a look at the the Lord's Word tonight in Matthew 13, uh, which is the parable of the sower. But a couple of things just to say before we go any further. In our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, we had uh, someone who felt that The Lord wanted to say to someone in our congregations, I'm not sure whether it was this morning or the evening, or perhaps it was multiple people in the morning and the evening, but the word from the Lord was particularly just two words, welcome back. Does that mean anything to you? Welcome back. If it does, may the Lord bless it to your heart. (laughs) Secondly, um, I just wanted to um, point out that In a congregation like our own in any given week, um, several people will be going through great heartache, um, whether it's a a serious illness or terminal illness or something like that, or whether it's um, the death of a loved one. There will always be somebody going through that kind of thing, and maybe even multiple people. And this week we had the tragic death, as Sky already intimated, of uh, the son of Jill O'Connor. You evening people who are exclusively evening people, will not know Jill because she's a mourning person. Um, but her son um, tragically killed himself on Wednesday. And uh, I would ask your prayer for Jill, and I'd ask your prayer for the family. The family is um, in deep shock, and um, they need the Lord. And, and I pray also, please pray for me too, because I've been asked to take the funeral, which is a daunting task. Okay, let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this evening, and as we look into your word in this wonderful, famous parable of the sower, we ask you, Lord, that you will apply these words to our hearts wherever we're at. May it be a word of warning, encouragement, rebuke, or wherever along that line it needs to lie. May this word be from you. And may we all be built up in our faith as a result of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read the parable of the sower from Matthew chapter 13. So please have a follow along with your Bible in whatever form you have it. And um, have a look at the words. Listen to the words. Paul tells us in his epistles, do not neglect the public reading of the word. So um, we're going to do that tonight. There'll be a lot of scripture right through the talk tonight. So um, that it really is the word of the Lord that's coming through. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him, Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred sixty or thirty times what was sown he who has ears let him hear the disciples came to him and asked why do you speak to the people in parables he replied the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them whoever has will be given more And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you; blessed are your eyes because you see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in the rocky places is the man who hears the word and then at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but worries. the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Amen. So I'm sure all of us have heard this parable before. But we're going to have a look at it now. Look at the various aspects of it and apply it to our lives and see what the Lord wants to say to us today. The parable is really about the Word of God. That's the seed. And how people actually listen to the Word of God and how they, um, what they do with it after they listen to it. And what the Word actually does in them. And uh, this topic came to my heart um, just after I came back from the uh, trip to the Northern Territories, um, which we'll maybe tell you about maybe next week. Um, A phrase kept coming to my mind from when I was younger. I I grew up in a, a community that was very heavily and still is very heavily Christian. By, uh, by that I mean most people are associated with a church, they're linked with a church, um, even to this very day. And uh, when the churches get out on the Sunday morning, there's a traffic jam in town. And uh, I wish that the whole of the West was like that. But anyway, when someone would die, and even to this day, the question is asked, did they make a profession of faith? And um, uh, when that question was asked, I always waited to hear with great Uh, expectation if they had or not and when I heard that they had I was joyful and when I heard that they hadn't I was sad and uh, but as time goes by I'm beginning to realize that that's the wrong question to ask because we can easily make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ profession of faith is basically saying that you agree with the gospel it's a verbal um, agreement with uh, the principles and the teaching of the gospel, uh, a verbal agreement with what Christ did, and all the rest of it. But many, many, many people have made that profession of faith, but nothing changed in their lives. They just kept going on the way they were going, and they looked back to a date when they made a profession. And this um, was very starkly made clear to me at the funeral of one of my uncles. Uh, He died, and then everybody asked the question, did he make a profession of faith? And... um, the minister told us. We didn't know. We didn't know if he did or not. But the minister told us during the funeral service that many decades prior to that, he had, in fact, in a meeting one night, made a profession of faith in Christ. So for a lot of people, that would have been a comfort. But as I look back on his life, I saw no evidence of that living relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, I don't know how valuable that profession was. So what I really want to say tonight is that if we're relying on a mere profession of faith on one day when you came to know, apparently, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, but nothing changed, you have no hunger for the Word of God, you have no hunger or desire to be with Him in His presence, then perhaps you need to go back to the root of that and see was that a mere mental ascent to the gospel or was it actually a taking on board, a beginning of a new relationship, the Holy Spirit coming in and the life beginning to be transformed. You see, the proof of becoming a Christian is not a confession, it's fruit. Uh, Fruit, where are we? Here. (laughs) Abide, fruit, glory. We keep coming back to this fruit thing, don't we? And uh, the scripture that we read tonight, in two times it says um, about a crop yielding 160 or 30 times more than was sown That's the wonderful thing about grain. If you put one grain into the ground, you get many, many more back at the end of the harvest. And uh, it's actually an amazing thing. Very, very quickly, you have an exponential increase. I'm sure you've all heard of the story of the giant who uh, was playing chess with somebody, and uh, he lost. But the um, the prize for um, winning the chess game was that on the first chess square, the person would get one grain of wheat. On the second he would get two grains of wheat, and on the third he would get four, and on the fourth he would get eight, and so exponentially it increased. By the time they got to the 64th square, there was uh, not enough grain in the entire kingdom for, um, anyone to, uh, for the giant to be able to pay the uh, fine for losing the game. Grain is a wonderful thing. When it is sown, it comes back a great, a great yield. And uh, I want us to look at what the seed really is that is sown. I just read today, um, after I prepared this sermon, that Jesus is actually as well seed. Remember the seed that was promised way back in the garden to uh, defeat Satan? He is that seed. But we're more thinking that the seed is the actual word of God that is sown and planted in a person's life. And uh, we could say that it is the gospel. We could say that it is God's manual. We could say that it's God's instruction book or his handbook. It's a guide for living. And it's all about God's fine tuning of the universe and sin and rebellion and the part that that plays in it and then redemption. The seed is the word of God, the gospel. I want to summarize the gospel before I go any further because we cannot take it for granted that everybody really has a grasp of the gospel. What is the gospel, really? So in a few short paragraphs, I want to summarize that, maybe in language that you haven't heard it summarized in before. We Bible-believing Christians understand from what has been revealed in this book that we have a maker. And I believe that we can come to that conclusion without the Bible as well. As we look at nature, and we sang tonight uh i'll just look it up here the, the lyrics how great thou art i want to um have a look particular um particularly at the verse went through the woods and forest glades i wander um i don't even think i've got them all here i see thy power throughout the universe displayed we were sleeping on the beach in the northern territories that was It's not as nice as it sounds, actually. (laughs) Um, Mosquitoes. You think the mosquitoes are loud down here? They're like fire brigade sirens up there. And they're relentless. But anyway, one of the things we could see were the stars. um, Looking up there, just lying, looking up at the stars. And we were in the midst of a vast forest. One of the things that was, one of the illusions that was taken away from me on that trip, and from Gary and others, it was um, the fact that Australia isn't one huge sandy desert in the middle. It's vegetated from shore to shore. It's amazing. There was a lot of rain last season, and there's a lot of grass, a lot of trees, and it's very, very beautiful. And it all screams out, creator, maker. And I, I hear the birds sing gently in the trees. How many bird species do you think I saw? 116. And that's where the bus goes, zoom, 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 and didn't get a chance to stop and look at them all. But um, all of it screams out, maker, maker. There's a song we sing, I have a maker. He knows my name. And so the gospel says we have a maker. And when we look at the intricacies of creation, the DNA, the computer code, the extremely complicated computer code, that is in the middle of DNA. We can only come to one conclusion, we have a maker. And even Richard Dawkins is conceding that now. But he doesn't think it's God. He thinks it's an alien or a group of aliens that seeded us here on the earth. At least that's the same genre of idea. Maybe he'll get there in the end. Please pray for dear Richard Dawkins. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he was eventually saved? So we have a maker. And we had a relationship with this maker That was perfect. It was going along really well until our ancestors, Adam and Eve, decided that they wanted to have a bit of autonomy. They wanted to go against one rule that God had made. And so they disobeyed. And the breaking of that one rule actually broke the relationship completely between ourselves and our Maker. To such a degree that we could never do anything to fix it in fact god made sure that we couldn't do anything to fix it he removed the remedy or he put a guard in front of it so that they couldn't go back and eat of the tree of life so we have a maker we broke the relationship between ourselves and the maker there's nothing that we can do to mend that relationship but here's where the hope comes in because the maker made a promise to us. Right back there in Genesis chapter 3, he made a promise that he would send someone to to redeem us, send someone to crush the enemy, send someone to fix our predicament. And that remedy came in the form of a person, his son, the maker's son, Jesus. He came to make a way of reconciliation between us and the maker. And when he died on the cross, he achieved that along with much, much more. And we can have that peace again with God. We can have our sins forgiven. Not by professing faith in Jesus, but by entering into relationship with him. By renouncing our sin, by repenting of our sin. By trusting in him and continuing on in that road that's how we can get back to him again. And that's the seed that has been sown. That little resume of the gospel there is really like the seed that has been sown. And it's been sown on on ground, four kinds of ground to be precise. And um, we want to take a look at each of these four different kinds of ground. The ground itself is speaking of the hearts of individuals. Your heart, my heart, Everyone's heart in the world. Everyone's heart is not the same. Some are hard, some are soft. Some are hardening, some are softening. And we'll have a look later on, and we'll try to gauge for ourselves at what stage our heart is. Is it hard? Is it hardening? Is it soft? Is it softening? And that might help us to know what to do in our quiet times this week. The whole point of the parable here is that the types of soil are the types of hearts and the degree of receptivity to the word of God, whether it's great or little. Three of them are poisonous to, so- to the so- seed, three of them are deadly, and one of them is really good. And the whole idea is that fruit is produced, some fruit. Maybe a lot, maybe a little, but some. And that's what we're looking for. So let's go to soil type number one. It says in verse four, some seed fell along the path. Now, in the time that this parable was given or written, they didn't divide the fields up so much with boundaries like we do, like fences, wire, probably didn't have wire. They may have done a few stone boundaries and things like that, but they divided up the fields with paths so that you could walk through them. And those paths became hard and um, impenetrable for roots and things like that. So the seed was sown on the path, just bounced off the path, and the birds came, and they could see it. It was highly visible. The path would not have been plowed like the rest of the ground. It would have been left unplowed because you don't want to remove the boundary. And... Um, the seed would have been left there for the birds. And it says in verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And it represents the hard heart. You know, um, we know know that in uh, our Western society, um, one of the main medical problems is heart trouble. Many, many people die from heart disease. It's one of the main killers that has been up there for a long time and still remains one of the main killers of people in our society. But there is a condition of the heart which is worse than any medical condition that can be found, and that is the hard heart. The heart that cannot understand the gospel, cannot receive the gospel. That is a seriously hard condition. Imagine having a heart that... Uh, Even the most powerful weapon that God has cannot penetrate it, the the powerful word of God, because a person is not able or doesn't want to understand it. That is a serious situation. And we can read in the Bible about such a person. That was Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in Exodus chapters um, 7 forward, um, went through a process of hardening his heart. God told Moses that Pharaoh would. uh, God told Moses, in fact, that God would harden Pharaoh's heart But we can look at the process. Exodus 7, verse 13, it says uh, Pharaoh, talking about Pharaoh. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, that's Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So note there that Pharaoh's heart became hard. Then chapter 8, verse 15, we have a progression. It says there, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So there's a progression. But it gets worse. It says in chapter 9, verse 12, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. So we can see a progression of hardening of heart. And it seems like Pharaoh got himself into an irreversible hardness, which ended up in his judgment. And that is a very, very serious thing that could happen to people, um, could happen to people alive today. We note also that the children of Israel, they started off uh, with a certain softness to God's word because they listened to Moses, didn't they? And they followed him out of the land of Egypt and very quickly they began to complain and they began to um, manifest a hardening of their hearts. And they, they continued to harden their hearts and, continued, and they even went into idolatrous rebellion and then the Lord said, you will not enter my rest. So none of them who were over 20 who left Egypt got to enter the promised land except Joshua and Caleb, who did not rebel. So we see here the process of hardening of hearts. And the, and the scripture warns us in Hebrews, do not harden your hearts as they, the children of Israel, did in the rebellion. It's a very serious condition. So what do we see today today? When the seed is sown or when the gospel is preached, to put it another way. Well, in the words of Charles Dickens, um, I think it was, it is the worst of times and it is the best of times. He said, it was the worst of times and it was the best of times. In the world today, we are seeing an increasing hardness in the West to the gospel. Whereas maybe in the East, we're seeing an increasing softness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I was listening to a man called Ken Eidelman just two days ago, and he said that the biggest church within the next couple of decades will actually be in China. China, communist China, will have the biggest concentration of Christians in the world. That's amazing, isn't it? From one million Christians in 1947 or so to over 100 million Christians today. That is an amazing, miraculous growth of the gospel. So we're seeing an increasing hardness in the West. And Dallas Willard, who is a, or was a, a scholar from um, Dallas Theological Seminary, and also he taught in, uh, I think it was um, a university in, in Washington State, um, he said this, um what we're seeing today is due to the inevitable loss of moral knowledge what is moral knowledge well moral knowledge is that knowledge that we glean from the bible about how we should live and how we should respond to god our western society has lost that moral knowledge and is losing it very fast as we can see in many many areas so the we are getting to the tipping point where we've lost so much moral knowledge that um results in our hardening of hearts and it also results in society reaching a point where it can no longer thrive or survive. And that is terribly dangerous. And we've got to pray and plead with the Lord that there'll be some kind of a reversal of that. As we listen to what's happening in our family, even, on the other side of the world, we see a lot of pain, a lot of despair, a lot of lack because moral knowledge has been lost. How much more can our society take without falling to pieces? Um, This is producing hardness of heart. But today, if we profess to hold on to moral absolutes, it makes us evil in the eyes of some. And it makes us arrogant judges in the eyes of others. But dear friends, I want to encourage you. Do not be afraid to believe in moral absolutes given to us in the maker's manual. Don't be afraid. The only thing we should be afraid of is going against them. That's the only thing we should be afraid of. Fear the Lord, not man. Verse 13 of Matthew 13 says, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. So that's the hard ground, and we see that today. Then I just want to look at um, the reality of the devil here. The Scripture says that the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The evil one is equated with the birds in the parable. I want to let you know that I don't believe uh, that the Bible is talking here about an impersonal personification of evil as many people say the devil is today. Many people say there is no devil, it's just a personification of a concept called evil. No, the devil is as real as you are. He's a real creature, a real entity. Um, I've seen manifestations of evil spirits. of whom the devil is their leader. He's very real. And he is in the business of snatching away the good seed of the word as it is preached, as it is read, so that you, it has no, no longer got an effect in your life. He brings distractions. He brings contradictions. He brings circumstances that take away the word of God. I want to ask you all a question. I want to ask us all a question now. And that question is, how would you describe the condition of your heart today? Is it hard? Is your heart hard? If it is, then plead with the Lord to soften your heart. Because it's only when it's soft that the word actually goes in. Even now, your heart may be so hard you haven't heard what I said. I want to ask it again. Wake up. Is your heart hard? If it is, plead with the one who can soften your heart to soften it so that you can hear the word, that it can go in, and it can save you and transform you. Perhaps your heart is not fully hard yet. That would be wonderful. But perhaps you sense over the last number of weeks and months, it's hardening. You know, it's getting hard. Something has crept in. Something has stolen your joy. You're just not hearing from God. Is your heart hardening? Once again, I'd ask you to plead with the one who softens hearts to stop that. Don't allow your heart to get harder. Repent of any hardness. Repent of anything you're doing to make it hard. And he will do it. Is your heart soft? Is your heart soft to the Lord? Are you hearing from the Lord in these days? Or is your heart softening? That's a good place to be too. But when I say is your heart soft, it doesn't mean that there is a place where you arrive where your heart is as soft as it ever can be. I think the Lord wants to keep softening it until the day he takes us home where we become more and more open to his word. So are you? is your heart hard? Is it hardening? Is it softening? Is it soft? Think about those questions. And we'll move on to the second type of soil. This second type of soil offers a little bit more hope uh, on the surface. It's verse 5. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Some seed fell on rocky places. Not much soil, just a little. And this next type of soil... Speaks of a heart condition um, that is open, in fact, to the initial reception of the Word of God. So, different kind of a heart, different kind of a status. Verse 20 says, The one who received the seed that fell in the rocky places is the man who hears the Word and at once receives it with joy. That initially sounds really good. And if we were in a meeting and we saw this reception of the Word, we'd be very happy. We'd be full of hope for this person. And we might even go home saying we had someone come to know the Lord tonight. And hopefully that would really be the case, but we're not, they're not through life yet. There's a whole life to be lived. And down through the years of my lifetime in the West, millions of people have gone forward at Billy Graham Crusades, at Luis Palau Crusades, um, and other events like that, and have given their life to the Lord. But within a year or two, They're nowhere to be seen. Praise God, millions have gone forward too, and they have gone on to become stalwarts in the Christian church. Many of the people who have founded missionary movements were actually saved at Billy Graham crusades. And the founder of OM, the the organization to which I belong for 13 years, was one of them, George Verwer, and there are many more. But many people um, initially show a wonderful burst of enthusiasm. And what's happened here is it seems that they have loved the gospel. They've loved the sound of the gospel, the principles that are in it, and they've accepted them wholeheartedly. But what didn't really happen was they didn't fall in love with the one, the principle giver, the one who gave the message, the one who is the truth. I've seen this possibly happening in Eastern Europe. After communism fell the church uh, seemed to grow very quickly. And uh, the reason for that was that the contrast between Christianity and communism was so stark that many fell in love with the principles of the gospel. And they went to church and they they became, for all intents and purposes, Christians. But then, after a while, because they were only in love with the principles and not the principle giver, they fell away. We have to ask ourselves the question today. Am I an admirer of the principles of the gospel and the message without being subject to the one who gave the principles? There's another question for us. Am I an admirer or a lover of the principles and the message without being subject to the one from whom the principles came? Let's go on to the third type of soil. And that's the thorny soil. It says in verse 7 Other seed fell among thorns. What are the thorns that Jesus is referring to? Well, thankfully, in this parable, Jesus gave us a clear explanation for it. He says in verse 22 The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So there we are. The thorns that Jesus numbers here are. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. So let's have a look at the worries of this life. These are the things that can render the word of God fruitless in our lives because we are unduly worried about it. But, but you can complain about this and say to me, who in the world does not worry? Well, let's see who doesn't worry. Put your hand up if you don't worry. Oh my goodness, my own son. <laughs> Joel, you're unique. I always knew you are unique. You're the only one who doesn't worry. Well, maybe after a while you might have a worry. You can let me know. Um, <laughs> I'll listen to you. Um, everyone worries except Joel. <laughs> and, uh, but what do your worries do for you? Do your worries drive you to Jesus or do they drive you away from Jesus? And these people who fell away in this parable, were the ones for whom the worries drove them away from Jesus. Now, the fact that everybody worries um, doesn't make it right. We all worry, but that's not a faith position. (laughs) Um, Jesus said, do not worry. Paul said, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Pretty hard not to do. But at least we can stop worrying, can't we? about certain things as we conquer and as we get perspective. Jesus said in Matthew six thirty four, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus knew how dangerous worry is. Science has also shown us how dangerous worry is. And we don't need to go it. It's, it's just common knowledge that worry is not good for us. It, it damages our health, doesn't it? And if we worry long enough, it could kill us. Um, We we know that there have been cases where many people have dropped dead when they heard a a very worrying story. They just dropped dead because it was overwhelming. Killed them. And um, Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. What sort of things do we worry about? Well, Jesus knew very well what we worried about without actually worrying about them. He just knew us. Matthew 6, again, verse 25 Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Maybe that sounds a bit redundant here in this country where we seem to have an abundance of things. But if I were to tell you that there's a church just on the other side of the river that feeds 80 families every week in Donville because they don't have enough to eat, would you believe me? Well, if you don't believe me, you can ask Phil Linden from Vantage Point Church. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. And as I said this morning, part of being a Christian is being an ornithologist because Jesus said, look at the birds. All right? So all of you who don't (laughs) like birds, better change your ways. (laughs) Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? In verse 28, he goes on. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will, not, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Maybe you girls worry a bit more about clothes than the boys. But don't worry about that either. There's always savers in Greensboro. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 31. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek... This is what we need to do instead. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But when we let worries take over our life, it gobbles up the word of God and renders us fruitless. It's a very dangerous place to be. You young people, you're faced with the prospect of never owning your own home now. It used to be the Australian dream that you would own your home. They were affordable. They were within reach of almost everyone. But maybe not today. Don't let that worry you. The Lord will put a roof over your head. Trust in him. The one who said, don't worry, didn't have a roof over his head. And he didn't worry. You parents who are worried about your children, and there's probably no parent in here today who is not worried about your children. Commit each one of them to the Lord again today. And then do it again tomorrow and the day after. And trust him for. The outcome. He's more concerned about your children than you are. And remember, he gently leads those who are with young. You are with young. He gently leads you. So don't let the worries of this life eat up the word of God. Then there is the deceitfulness of wealth, which is another thorn that chokes the word of God. And I think that this thorn alone has been responsible for the decline of Christianity as much as any other thing in the Western society. Um, in, in my lifetime, maybe up until fairly recently, in the Western society, it was just an increase all the time in wealth. Australia has been in um, economic growth for 25 consecutive years. That's, that was unprecedented. And very few countries have kept that up. But what it has done is it has taken away our alliance on the Lord in many, many cases as a society. Australians don't need God anymore, they think. And the deceitfulness of wealth is part of that. And in some places, Christianity has mutated or changed in order to adapt to this deceitfulness of wealth. And so they have come up with an idea called the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be Healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time. And if you're not, it's your own fault. You haven't got enough faith or something. I don't believe that. So let us be careful how we see wealth and money. And uh, this will bring me back to 412 again. I want to encourage each one here to sign up for 412. This is one of the best resources that Elton Baptist Church can offer to you and to the Christian community in this area. 4.12 is a serious seeking after the truth and the serious seeking after God. It stands for Ephesians 4.12, where it talks about equipping the saints. Why would we equip the saints, you being the saints, to reach out and spread the gospel? And in one of these lectures, we're going to be dealing with a subject called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. We've already done it in there in the back room. And those who have done it have been greatly blessed by it. It's it's to do with the Christian and money. And it is uh, absolutely nothing to do with the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, give to get. Give to get. You give one, you get 10 back. You give one as a poor person, you become rich. God wants you rich. Does he? Well, this thesis is God Give to God in order to be able to give to God, in order to be able to give to God, in order to be able to give to God. More and more and more. Please come along. There are also modules on Muslim-Christian relations. There's a module on, um, if I can read it, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, and Teach Us to Pray. Four very good modules which I recommend to you. So back to the passage. The deceitfulness of wealth is something that Jesus talks a lot about. 16 of his 38 parables have to do with money. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses has to do with money. 288 verses in all. And they deal directly with money, not indirectly. The Bible offers only 500 verses on prayer. It's obviously enough. And less than 500 verses on faith. Big things, aren't they? Prayer, faith, big things. But guess how many on money? (laughs) 2,000. The Bible deals four times more often with money than it does with prayer. Four times more often with money than it does with faith. Is that a shock to us? I think it is. So it must be very important. But don't let the deceitfulness of wealth or the worries of this life separate you from God in any way. So, that's bad ground. Now we come to the good ground, type four. Thanks to God, there is such a thing as good ground. And that represents the soft heart, the heart that's ready to receive the word. We lived in northeast Brazil and uh, up there in the semi-arid region um, known as the Sertão, And um, it was very dependent upon rains. The people up there had good fertile ground, but what they didn't have was regular rain. And when we arrived, there was a drought. It had been going for years. People had died of starvation, and many had moved away to the south of Brazil, and churches had closed down. But anyway, during our time there, there came rain one night, and it rained and rained and rained and rained and and filled up the dam entirely. But what it did was it turned that pasty-colored hard ground into black soft ground, And the horse plows and the tractors were able to go through the ground and prepare it. It became soft and receptive to seed. And very soon, maybe four or five months later, there was a wonderful crop because of that heavy, heavy soaking that it got that night. And that's the type of ground we're talking about here. The good soil. Verse 8, still other seed fell on the good soil. And that's the sort of soil that produces fruit. I want you to take a little while now and just have a mental look at your life and ask yourself this question Is there the fruit of the Word of God in my life? Is there increasing fruit of the Word of God in my life? I hope you're encouraged by that search. But if you're not, please come to the Lord and and ask Him for more. Note that there are varying amounts of fruit. Not everyone will produce the same amount of fruit. Perhaps even any one individual will not produce the same amount of fruit all the time. Jesus said 100 times more, 60 times more, 30 times more. The importance is not the volume of fruit, really, at this point. The importance is, is there fruit at all? That is very, very important. If you find that you do have fruit in your life, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. I want you to keep your heart open to the Word of God. Keep your heart soft to His Word. And may that fruit, you know, increase from 30 to 60 to 100. This is Sunday. It's the first day of the week. It's a really, really good day to get back on track with the Lord. Perhaps you've done your little mental search and you've found not only that there's very little fruit, but that your heart is hardening. This is the day to stop there. Stop right there. Turn right around. Ask the Lord to soften your heart and walk back in the other direction. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to produce fruit. Remember, He is your maker, He designed you. You are broken. He wants to fix you. You can't fix yourself. He's the only one can fix you. And he will fix you if you ask him. Remember, too, how futile it is to live in a world that was designed by God by rules that are contrary to his design. It doesn't make sense. And that's what the world is trying to do. It won't work, no matter how hard they try. It won't work. So come to him now. Let's all come to him now and let's have a a, a time of prayer just rededicating our lives to the production of fruit for the glory of his kingdom. And don't leave this building tonight without doing business with God. If it um, requires coming and talking to one of us, members of staff, one of the church council or uh, a trusted friend, do it. Don't leave without doing business with God tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we have had a look at our lives, we know the state of our hearts. We know if we're hard or hardening. We know if we're soft or softening. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us here tonight will have the appropriate response to you. If there's anyone in here tonight who's hearing nothing of this, who's understanding nothing of it, we plead with you to open the eyes of our understanding now that all of a sudden the veil will be lifted, they will see where they are at, see the danger they're in, and come running to you in repentance, in in the fear of the Lord, and in the hope of salvation. We pray for all of us that we will repent of those things that are causing us to lose the effectiveness of the word of God in our lives. We're losing fruit. We're not producing as we should. Show us those things right now, Lord. In fact, we probably know what they are. Give us the willpower to leave them behind, to turn our backs on them and repent from them. For those who have found themselves in a real position of being soft towards the Lord, keep us there, Lord. Keep us progressing in that softness of heart towards you. And we know that as we are soft towards you, we'll be soft towards others. We'll be open to your creation. May you do wonderful miracles in hearts tonight. Cure spiritual heart trouble, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.